Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting verse 18. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Uh, going to be going through the end of the chapter. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. If you would, let's pray. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together in this place and to, to worship you. And Father, I thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for uh, just the songs that have been sung, the, the prayers that have been lifted up, the gifts that have been given. We thank you for uh, this time that we have now uh, to look at your word and to hear a message from you, Lord, that I pray that you would just speak to us in such a mighty way today. That there would be no doubt, uh, no question, that you are speaking to us, that the voice that we hear is yours. Father, I, I recognize that I have a part in that today, and I, I recognize just my inadequacies as well. And so, Lord, if you would, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life and give me the grace that is needed to preach your word in a way to bring honor and glory to your name in a way to bring sinners to repentance, believers into a time of renewal and their relationship with you. Lord, if there's someone here today that has never accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, I pray that today through the preaching of your word, through the songs that have been sung, through the, the gifts, through the, the testimony, Father, I pray that they would hear from you and know that Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. For the believer that's here, Father, that may be struggling or maybe going through a time of just uh, difficulty or hardships or even in need of renewal in their relationship with you, I pray that right in here, right now, that they would experience the grace that they need to be the people that you've called them to be, to be the person that you've called them to be, to do the things that you've called them to do. And Father, I, I recognize, Lord, that uh, there may be a lot of us here today that are struggling. That they're not alone. So Father, help us to bear one another's burdens. Help us to encourage and to love and support, to pray and admonish one another in such a way that they would know that you are with them, that you've not left them or forsaken them. Help us to be the body that you want us to be, to be the church that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Hey, uh, this week, uh, Julie made a, a new bulletin. I think she did a really good job. And, uh, you know, I just appreciate Julie so much and all that she's doing. Something you may not know about Julie is that she is a diehard Cowboys fan. And uh, I'm a diehard Niners fan. They play each other today in the playoff game, you know. And so if you see her and I not talking to each other this week, Know that we, we, I'm not mad at her, and she's not mad at me. We're just immature when it comes to football, you know. Uh, today we're talking about fools, and 
you know, I wasn't planning on saying anything about this, but there's maybe no greater example of a fool than one who would wear a cowboy sweatshirt and sit in the front row today. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty foolish, you know? And uh, her wife, his wife, is just... What were you thinking? I mean... Yeah. Yeah, I see you. I mean, some of you are raising your kids in the wrong way. I mean, I just... And there's just no hope, you know. Oh my goodness. Now listen, we don't we don't have time for testimony today, okay? So you can you can talk about your foolishness later, okay? But we're talking about fools, and Elon Musk recently said that he will resign as the CEO of Twitter when he finds someone who is foolish enough to take it over. Social media giant Mr. Beast said that he wants to be that guy. It sounds kind of foolish to me, but in 2012, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, they fired Andy Reid as their head coach of their football team. At the time, I thought, man, why would you, hire, why would you fire, Chip Kelly, fire Andy Reid and hire Chip Kelly? That seems pretty foolish, right? I mean, just to think about it. I mean, if last yesterday the Chiefs lost to the, the Jaguars, you know, I mean, that's some, you know miraculous way the Jaguars were able to win that game I mean just think about it the Chiefs fired I mean, there wouldn't be a commentator in all of sports that wouldn't just think that's the most foolish thing to do I mean Andy Reid is probably the if not the he is the brightest mind offensive mind in all of football I mean, why would you fire that guy he I mean he makes Chad Henney a 38 year old quarterback look good I mean, if he can do, I mean, he just made him look like, hey, this guy, he could be a starter, you know? I once observed a, a lady yell at her boss, and I thought to myself, that seems kind of foolish, you know? We know a lot of people who are foolish or have been foolish. There have been times in our own lives where we've been foolish. Paul says that those who put their faith in the cross are not fools, but rather they are wise. And those who fail to do so are fools, even if the world says they are wise. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word folly is used five times in the New Testament. All five times are used by the Apostle Paul in this letter in 1 Corinthians. Three of those five times are used in today's passage. And every time it's used, it's used to describe a person who does not accept Jesus Christ. Every single time. <laughs> we are hearing Paul say that for those who don't believe in the power of the cross, they are fools. And here's the deal. The context here is that the people that Paul is calling foolish were wise by human standards. They were well-spoken. They were eloquent in speech, kind of like myself. This week we saw Mark Matthews in the newspaper, you know. And uh, speaking of wise men, but he was given wise financial advice during this current financial climate. I'm so grateful, I'm not sure about you, but I'm so grateful there are people like Mark Matthews in our world today. You know, that we have somebody like Mark that we can ask for financial advice or seek 
financial counsel. You know, the last thing you want is to getting that from your pastor. But have you ever seen an undeniable, unmistakable transformation take place in someone's life where they were once fools, but something happened, a change took place in their life, and they were no longer a fool, but wise, powerful, strong, courageous, a person of character, integrity, morals, values, commitment, competency. Overnight that happened? I doubt that you have. We might see it over time, but wholesale changes rarely happen, rarely happen overnight. Now, doesn't this say that genuine changes don't happen or they can't happen? Quite the contrary, but faithfulness is not elementary, friends. Ever try to be faithful? Ever try to be true, committed? A man of character, made a, a woman of competency, of morals and values? What Paul says to Timothy pastors should not be a new convert or he may become conceited and fall under the judgment of the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. It doesn't happen overnight, friends. Make no mistake about it, what Paul is saying here isn't that you have to be wise or have all your ducks in a row before you believe or before Jesus will love you. Quite the contrary. You can be the wisest man in St. Joe, but if you fail to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then you are a fool in the eyes of God. Or you can be the biggest fool in town, but if you know Jesus, then you are wise in the eyes of God. Verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will throw out. Who is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God made foolish the wisdom of this world? In verse 19, Paul is quoting the prophet Isaiah. And he is focusing on the foolishness of this life without God in verse 20. Where is the wise one? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? They are fools, he says, without God. Friends, you can be smarter than a Christian. You can win a debate. You can have all the popularity of this world, but God will make a fool out of all of them. How many times has someone who is smart, someone who is wise, according to this world, seems to have all the answers been proven wrong. I mean, I'll prove it. How many times have you been told that butter is bad for you? You know? A few years ago, I was looking at Time magazine that says butter is good. Look, this is what I read on WebMD, Web okay? In moderation, butter can be a healthy part of your diet. It's listen, <laughs> you just keep going here. It's rich in nutrients like bone building calcium and contains compounds linked to lower chances of obesity. Butter can also be part of a, a low carb diet, which may help you better maintain your weight or lose weight quicker than you can through a low fat diet. Butter has health benefits. 
It can help lower your chance of cancer. It can help your eyes. It can make your skin healthier. It can strengthen your bones. Men, when your wife says no more butter, says, baby, I'm just working out. I am just, I'm just tell her. I'm strengthening my bones. How many times? I mean, I'm a, I'm a pro-science pastor. I truly do believe that, that science leads us to God. I really do. And I, I think the reason that I think that is because I think all roads leads us to God. All roads. I mean, friends, even the roads that are destructive. Look at the prodigal son. At his point of breaking, even in my father's house, the servants have it better than I do. Look at Paul on the road to Damascus. Pretty unlikely, but sometimes on those roads, friends, is where we meet our Lord. Sometimes God works in mysterious ways and he takes the foolishness of this world and he makes it wise. What about your story? What has led you to where you are today? Is there not foolishness down that road? Down your path? In your story? I mean, I would love to hear your story, friends. I don't, I don't say that just to, to say, I truly do. I mean, I would love to, for you to come in one day, have a cup of coffee with me, and I get to hear about the foolishness of God in your life. I mean, there's, there's plenty in mine. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Let me read that to you again. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. Gordon Fee, he put it this way. A God discovered by human wisdom will be both a projection of human fallenness and a source of human pride. And this constitutes, this constitutes that the worship of the creator, not the worship of, worship of the creator. When we come to God through wisdom, through knowledge, it puts it, the glory on us. But when it's by belief, it's through faith. It's through the preaching of God's word. <laughs> it puts it on God. God receives the glory. God receives the honor. Not us. Not man. When a child knows that they have done wrong, when you present them to the Savior, Someone who will not only forgive their sins, but will take away their sins and give them a perfect record in the eyes of God. I mean, they, a child knows, friends. They need it. They are willing to, they are eager. They don't need some philosophical reason to believe they know. They don't know much, but they, they have it figured out. They're a sinner in need of God's grace. 
wise and the powerful are in no better position to know God than anyone else. In fact, their self-sufficiency and supposed wisdom stands in the way of knowing God. I read that this week and I thought, man, that is just so powerful. That the wise and powerful are in no better position to know God than anyone else. Their self-sufficiency and their supposed wisdom stands in the way of knowing God. Us adults have to have scientific evidence to the 10th degree. We have to have a, a doctoral dissertation to prove it. We need a journal article with peer-reviewed. And we need all the scientific community to, to agree. And all the actors in Hollywood to, to get on board with it. In order for us to say, yeah, that's true. God forbid we actually hear, see, know in our heart the truth and believe. We have to have everything else laid out in front of us just so perfectly, just so neatly. Everybody else has to come to that same conclusion. And if not, then it's just not, can't be, can't be true. Friends, we're not saved by human knowledge or human wisdom. The Greek word for wisdom is sophia, it's scientific knowledge. We are saved by believing what others have preached to us about God. This is God's design. That you hear the word of God and that you believe. Make no mistake about it, friends. I'm not the only preacher in this room. Listen very carefully, friends. I might be the worst preacher in this room because I get paid for it. I mean, what do you have to lose? And what do you have to gain? By preaching the word of God to your friends and your family and your community. By your co-workers. Your neighbors. When you proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost, friends, they, they can't look at you and say, well, you're getting paid for this. No. Friends, we've all been commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's our job. That's our, it's our responsibility. And I truly do believe if there's a revival going to take place in St. Joe, in Missouri, in the United States, or in this world, it's going to be by the people of God preaching the Word of God to the lost. My job is to preach the Word of God to the people of God. Okay, that's, that's what I do every Sunday. I come in here, I preach the Word of God. There's 99% of you believe. I mean, sometimes I go to the grocery store and I have a conversation with people and I get in my truck and I'm like, why didn't I preach the gospel to them? Why didn't I share with them? God convicts me. And I miss those opportunities. Remember our friend Stan Mead? His dying wish. Man, I just want to preach the gospel one more time. Just give me that opportunity. To preach it one more. Where's that fire in us? That burning desire inside of each of us. And this might be the last chance I get. Maybe this is the last chance they get to hear the gospel. It's my job. Is that inside of you? Do you have that burning desire inside of you to preach the word of God? The Bible says that if people are going to believe it's by the word of God being preached. It's not some philosophical formula, friends. It's the Word of God. Preach it. Teach it. 
Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. If they're going to believe, it's going to be through God's word. They need to know it. They need to hear it. They need to see it being lived out through your life. It's no wonder the world's in shape that it's in. Where is the desire within the people of God to preach the word of God? Is it in your heart? Is it your desire? Lord, forgive us when it's not. And help, it, help us to be the people you want us to be. Verse 22, the Jews demanded signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified as stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Jews, they wanted a sign. Every time they asked Jesus for a sign, what did he say? No. And that's what they wanted. I mean, friends, the reality is that Jesus gave them the greatest sign they could ever ask for. I mean, he died on that cross and the earth quaked. The sky rumbled. The, the, the veil was broken. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Three days later. He was dead. He died on that cross, friends. You don't survive the cross. You, you're dead. They nailed those hands, those feet. You're not coming back from that, friends. Three days later. I mean, Paul says in this book, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that he spoke to all of his disciples. He spoke to, to many of people. And he, he, showed, he showed up to 500 different people. What other sign do you need, friends? And they still wouldn't believe that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, that he was who he says he was. Sometimes people can receive all the signs and wonders and knowledge they need to believe and they still refuse. Friends, in order to receive salvation, we must be called by God he must invite us. He must initiate the conversation. God has to pick up the phone. And when he does, we must be people who are willing to answer. To willing to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That God is on the other end of that call. The Bible teaches us that God's desire is that all men to be saved. But it also teaches us that in order for us to be saved... When he initiates that call to salvation, we have to make a response. Our job is to preach the gospel. We don't know when God is calling someone to salvation. We don't know when, when it's their time to believe. We, we must be men and women who faithfully preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all who are willing to hear. God desires for all to be saved, friends. And God is speaking to people right here, right now. There might be somebody in this room that does not believe. There might be somebody that's listening at home, that's watching on their computer. There might be somebody in your family. Somebody in your neighborhood. Somebody at your office. That needs someone to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Needs someone who's willing to 
and able, that's bold enough, that's strong enough, that's courageous enough, that's faithful enough to proclaim God's word. Verse 25 says, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. One commentator that I read this week says that what God has done in Christ, crucified, is a direct contradiction of human ideas on wisdom and power, yet it achieved what human wisdom and power failed to achieve. Friends, throughout all of history, there has been nothing or no one quite like our Savior. No one like Jesus, friends. The idea that a man who was perfect in every sense of the word would die for sinners like us, for the wicked, for the evil, makes no sense to the world. Makes no sense to us. It's foolishness, friends. Yet for those who've experienced his grace, it's everything. That's why Paul says in verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Friends, what do you have to boast about in front of God? Are any of you so great that God is impressed by your standards, by your works, by your... I mean, do we have anything at all that's... We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Friends, I look to the day that this life is over. I truly do. When sin will be no more. I mean, I, I cannot wait to rid myself of sin. But I know that it's going to be with me every day for the rest of my life. However long I have on this earth, I know I will struggle with sin. I look forward to the day when sin will be no more. He died on the cross, friends, for you and me. In spite of our sin, in spite of our shame, in spite of our weaknesses, God knows your sin. He knows your weakness. He knows your shame. He knows everything about you. And in spite of all of that, friends, he loves you. Friends, there are people that, that truly do believe that they're not good enough for Jesus. That they've done so much wrong, so much evil in their life that there's no possible way for God to love them. They carry so much guilt. It's impossible. If that's you here today, if you're watching, if you're listening from home, look at verse 28. God chose what is low and despised, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. God chose you, friends. Shame, guilt, foolishness, weakness, does not matter, friends, your past.
God is looking for people just like you. There isn't one of us in this room that has reason to brag over the other. The same blood that washed me is the same blood that will wash you. There's not this blood over here is used for these people. I mean, it is the same exact blood. We're all in need of it, friends. There isn't one of us that can boast over the other. Our only boast is to boast in what God has done for us. Verse 30, and God, I'm sorry, and because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Friends, today as Christians, we can rejoice. We're here to rejoice, to sing songs of praise, to lift up our hands and sing and thank the Lord for what he has done for us. That's what worship is. It's bringing glory to God and giving God what he truly does deserve. He deserves our best. He deserves our, he's worthy of our worship, friends. He has saved us from our sins. We are here to rejoice, to sing, and to praise him for what he has done for us. This is what we're here for. I've done nothing for you, friends. God has given you righteousness. He has given you sanctification. He has given you redemption. I want to close today just in a simple way. No story, no cute illustration. When it, for those of you who are young, maybe you don't know what this is. This is called a hymnal. When back in the olden days, we didn't have these screens and everything else. We had to open a book and sing songs from a book. It's amazing. These, these songs are still, you know, sung today. They're old, but they're good. And they have so much meaning and meat behind them. When I was a kid, this song was a song that we would sing on a regular basis. It's redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child forever I am. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus in the language my rapture can tell. I know that the light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all day long. I sing, for I cannot be silent. Amen. His love is the theme of my song. I know I shall see his beauty, the king and his law I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth my songs in the night. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the power, by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his, children, his child, and forever I am. Yes. Father, we give you thanks for this day. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together in this place and to sing songs of redemption. Father, I pray that we as the people of God would be willing not only to sing the song but willing to proclaim the song of our life Lord that you have redeemed us that you've sanctified that you've saved us from our sin and that we would not just sing and proclaim it in this room but that we would go from this place and that we would share it with anybody that's willing to listen of your grace of your mercy of your wisdom of your word Father, we thank you for this day. I pray that there's someone here today 
that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, I pray that today would be that day. Father, if there's a believer that's here, that's struggling, that's going through hardships, I pray that this would be a time where they recognize your goodness, your love for them, and that no matter what they're going through, no matter their hardship, they, they are loved by you. As people said, amen.